Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL's third annual Fan of the Year contest presented by Captain Morgan recognizes and celebrates extraordinary and inspiring fans. In collaboration with all 32 teams, the 2022 NFL Fan of the Year contest is officially open. Do you or someone you know rally others to spice up the game? Visit NFL.com slash Fan of the Year to nominate someone or learn more. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Gramling. And I'm Connor Orr. Connor, we are going to be joined by some guests. We're going to open our homes to uh, some other folks who will actually provide us with, I think, useful information. We'll see how it goes when they get here. But uh, before we do that, we have three games from the Week 4 slate that we want to break down, discuss just a little bit, and uh, kind of get everyone ready, get everyone fired up for some, uh, some more football. Cool. As someone who doesn't read the uh, show notes, I'm very excited to see who's coming to visit us, and uh, <laughs> and I will enjoy that. Um, we should add at the top of the show my push to make West Bromwich Albion 
uh, the mm-hmm. official team, uh, the official English football team yeah. of the um, of the MMQB podcast is going really well. We're hearing from readers from across the pond mm-hmm. who uh, who say that, and this is the best part, right? So they have this docile bird mascot that I absolutely love. It's just this sort of like handsome looking pigeon thing that's not there to harm anybody, uh, not there to do anything bad. And then they were bought by a company who makes boilers, like like water okay. heaters. All right. And so <laughs> they have a new mascot that is just Boiler Man, and it is a boiler. <laughs> it's a water heater. Wait, you have to look at – I want you to react <laughs> to this in real time. I'm going to send this to you through our, our chat function on the, okay. uh, on the recording thing. I want to – I want to be here when you see Boiler Man for the first time. Uh, it is, it's exactly what you think it is. It's a man, it's legs and arms coming out of a boiler, which is just incredible. Give that, give that All a right. peek. I dropped let's, that over in our chat client here. Let's take a look at this. Uh, wow, yeah, that is, that is really, <laughs> that's the most on the nose, the the most on the nose mascot I have ever seen. It is. <laughs> it's Boiler Man. And a boiler with slightly more mobility than a normal boiler would have, because this person inside it looks like they are probably miserable. I mean, their arms, when you say the arms are coming out, this thing is so clunky and just poorly designed that, like, it's like mid-forearm to hand is what's sticking out. You can't yes. do anything with your hands there. Nothing. Oh, it, boy. It is incredible. Um, so they have... Two mascots, so it's almost like, think about the Browns. They have the elf and the dog, mm-hmm. um, and this team has just a just the sweetest looking bird, and then a kitchen appliance, and it's it's incredible. It's beautiful, and uh, so I'm very much looking forward to a long and fruitful relationship with West Bromwich Albion and uh, and their wonderful bird and boiler. I'm also what from what I can gather from our Twitter mentions, uh, we're we're like pronouncing every name wrong as well. I think including the word <laughs> West, we're we're mispronouncing in some ways. So, West, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll work on it, but we're not going to do accents. I promise you that we'll mispronounce everything, but we won't do accents. No, we're we're better than that sometimes. All right, uh, we'll have plenty of time to get to West Brom. Do people call him West Brom? The Bron, the Bronies, the Bromies. West Brom, the Bromies. Let's quit while I'm I mean, ahead. You didn't, yeah, you didn't save any time by changing my West Brom to Bromies. So I guess it's sort of, you know, <laughs> everyone's choice. Mm. But uh, we'll get to West Brom later, or or probably not again on this show, <laughs> but on a later show, I'm sure there'll be a recurring character here with Boiler Man, and it's literally Boiler Man. <laughs> If anyone That's... knows how to get in contact with Boiler Man, please let us know. I mean, Boiler Man needs help. Whoever's inside this costume, uh, gosh, you just got to be regretting all your life choices at this point. Probably very hot. Mm-hmm. All right. We're breaking down three games here from the week four slate. Uh, all Sunday, 
Let's start with the Eagles just have every storyline happening every week to them. Uh, this is uh, who would have thought the Eagles would ever have an AFC South rival. But here comes Doug Peterson back to Philadelphia with his red hot Jaguars. And all of a sudden, this is an incredibly intriguing game in the one o'clock window on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know. Um, was there was there a big to do made of how Carson Wentz was treated? by the fans or no i I mean i know it was in washington yeah it's 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 very close (laughs) ride down the i-95 corridor (laughs) i was gonna say i think the washington fans weren't wild about him either (laughs) that's kind of where we're at right (laughs) now everyone was booing carson Wentz. yeah this is this is where we are with poor carson Wentz right now but uh but yeah that is that is going to be really interesting that super bowl 51 right they won 51 53 52 they won 52 37 <laughs> yes <laughs> the year was 1976 uh no they they won super bowl 52 uh i i'm almost sure of it at this point in minneapolis it was super bowl lie just one no two <laughs> no eyes. no lie okay yeah. see i i was right on you the third right. on the third yeah. guess yeah uh it was such a heartwarming story with Nick Foles and and sort of the Cinderella run that went through there and the underdog. You, you remember the mask? Uh, our buddy Tim Rowan wrote about the the dog, the dog mask, mask that yes. they got from uh, from China to uh, to do their whole underdog thing. But I feel like the vibes were so good they will never go away. And in this, you know, we saw Russell Wilson return to Seattle. I don't know if Russell Wilson was necessarily beloved. I think he was appreciated for his skill, but I don't think he made anyone sort of, you know, do the Grinch heart thing where you think about Russell Wilson and your your heart enlarges in, in some horrific but uh, but nice fashion. I think you still get a sense of that with Doug Peterson and, and guys from that team. Like if Nick Foles were to return to Philadelphia, I think you celebrate him. And I think Doug Peterson does get a warm reaction. And especially because of the Jaguars and, and no, come on, like who's mad at the Jaguars right now? I like Eagles fans. I tweeted something. Uh, I think in our, uh, our Friday preview last week, I wrote that there is somewhat of a, a small slice of curiosity on my end to see how Eagles fans would treat him and if they would have just ripped down I-95 and booed the crap out of them. Uh, for really, I mean, Carson Wentz, I, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think he was just Carson Wentz. And mm-hmm. sometimes you don't fit into a place. I mean, sometimes players' personalities are ill-fitted for a team at a certain time, organization in a certain place. And so when I wrote that, an Eagles fan screenshotted it and tweeted at me and was like, what do you mean like he didn't do anything? He requested a trade, so of course we hate him. He requested a trade because you hated him. <laughs> he requested a trade because like other players were playing instead of him, Yeah, and he could. I, I don't think, you know, I, I, I can't imagine getting mad at someone for being like, oh, wait, someone else is doing my job now? Yeah, I'd like to leave. I'd like, I'd like to go somewhere else. Yep. No, I'm uh, I'm with you on that, and uh, boy, Car- Carson, Car- poor Carson Wentz, his career just gets sadder and sadder at this point. But uh, but yeah, I I think Doug Peterson is probably still uh, beloved in Philadelphia to an extent. But we also have a Jaguars team that, uh, on paper, theoretically, matches up pretty well, uh, especially when it comes to this 
this defense and this defensive front against this Eagles run game in what is, I mean, this, this Eagles run game is as challenging as any in the league to prepare for right now. Yeah. And the Jaguars come in as one of the best and most efficient run defenses in the NFL. I think that they, they're, they fit well, right? They have really good front seven personnel and enough depth that they can rotate and stay fresh. But here's the challenge, right? It's the Eagles are three times that offensively and the Eagles rotate personnel. They vary uh, personnel groupings, both offensively and defensively better than any team in the league. And so it's going to be a, a big test for the Jaguars to see how they're going to be able to match up with all this stuff. Um, however, that's this is a big Trayvon Walker game, right? This is why you draft a guy like that, a guy who can play edge, a guy who can play three technique, a guy who can play anywhere on the defensive line. That's why you draft that guy, because you're going to need his help, especially and particularly in a game like this. It's, it's going to be fascinating because you don't necessarily want those guys... What, what's the what's the non really dumb way of making the sound? You don't necessarily want the edge burners who are flying off the edge and trying to get upfield every moment against Jalen Hurts because that can end up badly. Uh, you know, uh, Tremont Walker has been lining up sort of as a uh, a stand up edge rusher at times this year. It's probably not the best fit for him. I think you want to take more advantage of his uh, short area power. But uh, if you put him in that spot, that's not necessarily a bad place for him to be and just sort of be like, okay, let's let's be a little bit controlled here. Let's not uh, uh, go nuts, uh, you know, trying to sprint up field and let's let's contain the quarterback at this point and let's you know play some good disciplined defensive football. Yeah, I I don't know what you would do differently if you were the. Um... I don't know what you would do differently if you were the Jaguars uh, as opposed to the Vikings, who we saw just absolutely picked apart by Jalen Hurts a couple weeks ago. But because you have you have to sell out and you have to stop the run and you have to force. I, I, I still believe that, right? That and and this isn't knocking Jalen Hurts and saying that you have to force him uh, to beat you with his arm and that it's not something he's capable of doing. Jalen Hurts is getting better. He's becoming a better player, and there's no doubt about it. But what's the alternative? You can't let this team dictate the line of scrimmage and then just smash you because then all of your all of your plan goes up in smoke, you know. And they can dictate the run with Jalen Hurts. They can dictate the run with this fleet of backs that they have. It's um, it's tough, and so you have to find a way to just kind of plug that. And so, yeah, you sell out against the zone read, you sell out against quarterback keepers, any of that kind of stuff, and you sell out when they're going to run 13 personnel, which I have a feeling that they're going to try to do a lot of and just kind of test the waters there. Yeah, yeah, I figure a lot of zone looks on the back end here and, and see if you can see if you just cause a moment of hesitation with Hurts, and then it's just a matter of bottling him up. Uh, and keeping him from extending the the down at that point, but uh, I don't know. You, you got a UConn guy on the defensive line. You got a Yale guy in the linebacking core. How can it go wrong here for the Jaguars? How do, how do we not recognize this was going to be great? Oh boy, yeah, for sure, for sure. This is a big time Connecticut game. The very, Connecticut Bowl. Very nutmeg state type of thing going on here down in Jacksonville. Connecticut's the nutmeg state, or the Constitution state. Is nutmeg a popular crop in Connecticut? I don't know why it's the nutmeg seed. 
<laughs> I'm sure I was taught in grade school, and I just don't know what it is. Someone, someone will, someone will email us or, or tweet at us and tell me why it's the nutmeg state. I like when I googled uh, nutmeg. Um, the first thing that came up was nutmeg controversy. So, you know, that's great. I, I love that the world of nutmeg is far more bustling apparently than. Uh, um, what is the nutmeg controversy? Well, give me like the first line. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of back. So, I'm back in the other thing. Why is Connecticut called the nutmeg state? Yeah, and it seems like because its early inhabitants had the reputation of being so ingenious and shrewd that they were able to make and sell wooden nutmegs instead of nutmegs. So it's kind of a dirt ball thing. Like they were tricking people, <laughs> selling them bags of wooden nutmegs and just telling them they're nutmegs. What a uh, jerk. That's all right. It's just a state of jerks. You want to come here from Rhode Island? You're going to get some uh, some counterfeit nutmeg. That's just... Imagine like that's their problem back in the day. It's like, oh my God, these nutmeg scammers. Holy shit. Cannot get a real thing in nutmeg. And there's no way to tell mm-hmm. when you're at the store. Can't just put your teeth on it, I guess. <laughs> and what? smell it. Oh man. That's a, that's a good period uh, piece we, we can put together. I know. That, yeah, I'll save it for my history podcast. The <laughs> back to the back to the Jaguars here. The other thing that I think is going to be really interesting in this one, uh, we saw Trevor Lawrence when he was really heated up uh, on the road in Washington Week One. Still got a little bit scattershot, and and when I say scattershot, there, I mean this was really a quarterback under duress on a lot of downs, and uh, it was understandably scattershot when you're like running for your life from uh, Drawn Payne and and Montez Sweat and, and Jonathan Allen, but uh, they are going to heat him up. This this Eagles pass rush is really good. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it'll be a nice test here for Trevor Lawrence, who has played very, very well through three games. And, you know, as, as we talked about on the Monday show, it looks like this is, you know, he's going to be the quarterback we thought he would be. I mean, we, we mentioned this on the Sunday Review podcast. Um, I'll mention it again. You, you can put this guy in any system except for the one that urban Meyer ran and and it's gonna look right I mean he is he's throwing ropes he's mobile he's escaping the pocket really well he's seeing the field well and again you know I don't think it's a small thing that you're toasting a really like a, a talented chargers defense right and yes the chargers are one and two but Brandon Staley is a really, really good defensive coordinator, and that's a really talented roster. And you're dropping balls in three person with you know zone coverage with three guys within the vicinity. There, this is this is some impressive stuff. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? 
Why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jacob Goldstein. I used to host a show called Planet Money. Now I'm starting a new show. It's called What's Your Problem? Every week on What's Your Problem? Entrepreneurs and engineers describe the future they're going to build once they solve a few problems. How do you build a drone delivery business from scratch? Our customers, they want us to do this unbelievably reliably, in the storms, no matter what, Uh hundreds of times a day. How do you turn a wild dream about a new kind of biology into a $10 billion company? We didn't have a particular technology. We didn't have a way of making money. (laughs) Um, It was a great way to start a company. (laughs) I highly recommend it. What could go wrong? (laughs) How do you sell millions of dollars worth of dog ramps for wiener dogs in the middle of a pandemic? We're working with 400 influencers, and the majority of them are actually not a person, but it's actually a dog. (laughs) I can tell you right now, the dog ramp guy has some very interesting problems. Listen to What's Your Problem on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on road. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's, uh, let's head to... Baltimore, where the Ravens coming off that big win uh, over the Patriots take on the Bills, whose offense just played. Uh, it was 90 snaps is what the Bills offense had in 340-degree uh, heat 
in Miami last week. And uh, again, you know, it, this this early season has been a reminder that like, yeah, hurry up is awesome and you can wear the defense down and stuff like that. But like, yeah, sometimes your guys wear down too. And the Bills offensive linemen, I, I mean, how much weight do you think a 300-pound dude loses playing 90 snaps in the kind of heat they had in Miami on Sunday. I mean, you're you're probably Deion Dawkins is probably like 140 pounds at this point. That's amazing. I would love to see. Um, I would love to see what that looks like. And also, what? How are you refueling? You know. Mm-hmm. Are you? Are, I remember. I mean, Pee Wee football. We used to get Mr. Good bars at halftime. That wow, that was yeah. This was pre. I mean, I came in right right before the granola bar. So, <laughs> right? I don't know. Did you have granola bars That's, when you were little? Well, yeah. <laughs> they, they there were, there were granola new. bars? There was like sure. mass market granola bars when you were yeah, little? Yeah, Quaker, Quaker, chewy granola bars. Yeah, of course. Those were around when you were a kid in the in the early 80s? Yeah. Wow. Not early 80s. Uh, <laughs> late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> but yeah, those have been around. So you were eating chewy bars while listening to Flock of Seagulls on 8-Track. <laughs> interesting okay um I've, i maybe it's you know maybe in scranton the granola bar was kind of slow to catch on okay maybe we okay. just uh maybe we didn't adopt it but i remember vividly remember being in like a peewee playoff game and a coach just bringing in a box of full-size oh, mr man. good bars and just oh. wondering like yeah it was wild That's awesome that's awesome. Right? Mr. Goodbar is so underrated as a candy bar as well. Mr. Goodbar is very, very underrated. I would put it up there. I mean, this is a dangerous segue here, but um, my top three, I mean, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is unstoppable. It's, a, you know, or the smidgen counterpart, which I know you're still kind of mm-hmm. working your way into, but just yeah, the combination yeah. of peanut butter and chocolate in, in a self-contained uh, vessel uh, is obviously up there. I would say Mr. Goodbar I would say, um, uh, and the take five is a big one for me. Okay. I, I'm a little, I, I have take five takes. It's it's delicious. I feel like it's cheating, though. I feel like they just took everything. They just smashed like, every candy bar It's almost together. like you have to limit it to two elements if you're really playing the game fairly. Other, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise, you're just like, all right, well, here's every delicious thing covered in chocolate, and here's a bar, which... Now that I say it out loud, it seems like it's a really good idea. People should have done long ago. But don't you feel like candy candy bar purists were probably like, "Oh my god, you know, look at this, just disgusting." Like they saw the take five at some expo, and they were like, "You know what? I'm getting out of this business." Yeah. All these flashy guys are just smashing the caramel bar and the peanut butter bar together, and there's a pretzel wedged in there now, and it's just it's time to get out. You know? Yeah. It's, I'm done. <laughs> it's. Where's the thought? Where's the thought that goes into this? Uh, but it's right. You're you're delicious. I put the Kit Kat up there. I think uh, mm. I, I'd go Kit Kat two and then Mr. Goodbar three after again Reese's. And I think Take Five just goes in. You know, Take Five is like uh, it's like the bodybuilder competitions where you have the ones that you know you you can't be on steroids, and then you have the bodybuilder. <laughs> competitions where you are like encouraged to take steroids and they don't they don't care and that's what take five belongs in fair fair i once i once during uh i was like post halloween was riding around and got the i was so excited about it take five and i ate it so fast that the uh the pretzel lodged into my windpipe (laughs) 
and I was I was in the front seat of my friend's car gasping for air for the better part of a minute and a half and it was terrifying but right after that I was like give me the second half of that take five it was that's how good it was you know it almost kills you but you just love it it's it's true so I'm sorry. We were talking about uh, the <laughs> the massive weight loss of the Bills' offensive yeah. lineman after Miami. Uh, it's just confusing because I tend to you know just just put a little put a little asterisk next to teams coming off massive uh, snap counts on the defensive side of the ball. And this will be interesting to see. You know, I, I, they certainly stylistically play in a fashion where. You don't need your offensive line to absolutely dominate in this game. You have a quarterback who obviously solves a lot of problems, and you you like to throw the ball around. And I think they have done such a good job of winning with off-script stuff to the point where I was really – I've been really impressed with – Isaiah McKenzie we knew could do that um, and was going to be a big part of that. Devin Singletary, I think, impressed me a lot. In terms of, I think he's better understanding when Josh Allen is on the move, how can I make myself more useful? And how can I make myself more more valuable to the offense? And I think with a sort of really smartly paired check down option that is going to be as dynamic as Josh Allen, like if you can fit in that role and be that guy... um, I remember just thinking like LaDainian Tomlinson used to be so good at that. I mean, that's part of the reason that it made him such a good player and I'm not comparing the two of them. Uh, so stop it. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think that that is trouble against a relatively young secondary, especially, you know, and Kyle Hamilton had a good game last week, but you know, some of these guys are going to have to be forced to cover a, a lot. And, uh, Ken Dorsey has proven that even without Brian Dable, he can he can get those matchups. He can get these guys in space. It's going to be a tough assignment. It's been a really interesting sort of evolution of this offense here because, look, you said it like early in the preseason that, you know, everyone's going to be looking for the check down guys. Uh, with all these split safety looks, all these conservative uh, secondaries, it's going to be the year of the check down. And we've seen that in some places where it's already kind of become predictable. You know, we talked about this a little bit uh, about the Sunday night game, and and you have a quarterback in Denver who has kind of chosen to frequently check down, but has also strangely not taken advantage of opportunities to run for large chunks of yards. And I think now with the Bills, uh, and and we know, you know, they tried to get J.D. McKissick, uh, and he is, I mean, that was sort of a a sign that they recognized that this was something they were going to have to do going forward with Josh Allen. And, uh, you know, I know I was wondering, okay, is Josh Allen just, you know, are they going to try and conserve him by by sort of being like, okay, just get the ball out of your hand instead of loading your shoulder? That hasn't really been the case. But what is happening now is, you have to defend, uh, you know, when the down gets extended a little bit, you have to defend against Josh Allen running, but he also now has capable and competent and sort of planned checkdowns in there. So uh, it's like you get to the end of the down where you've covered the rest of the uh, receivers, and now you have, you know, the flow chart still splits in two ways here that you have to be prepared for as a defense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I... I I think the Ravens will match up well and have historically matched up well with Josh Allen, the runner, but like anything else, Buffalo, the secret sauce over the last four years or last three years really was forcing you to make that choice pre-snap. 
It's either you have to commit to the fact that I might do this, or you're going to have to commit to the fact that I might bomb it over your head and I can score on any play and I can do what I want. And so if I'm a team, I think I'm always picking let Josh Allen beat me with his legs, right? Wouldn't you? It's harder. Yeah. It's harder. And after a while, he just wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. If I had the choice. Yeah, I mean, that's... Either- look, at the, and we talked about it. The, the Dolphins, they, they, they win. They get, a, they, get a, they get to tally one in the win column from Sunday in a game where they just couldn't really get off the field. I mean, they, yes, they had a, they had a fourth and goal stand in the fourth quarter. Uh, they got a strip sack. That's a nice thing. I mean, maybe you can try and do it that way, but mostly their game plan was just like, Oh God, let's not let anything over our heads here and we'll get picked apart and we'll hope that they make, you know, a couple of mistakes. And they did, they, they, you know, the bills made just enough mistakes to, uh, to let that game get away from them. Yeah. Um, On the flip side of this, Gary, I think that this is a a game where Lamar Jackson, we're going to find out a lot about Lamar Jackson. Uh, Buffalo has that rotation. They have speed off the edge. Um, As banged up as the back end of that defense is, um, I I think that they have as smart and as sound a front seven as, uh, categorically across the board as any team in the NFL. And I think that's a challenge, right? Because we saw Lamar just skipping through a Patriots backfield uh, defensive or Patriots defensive front seven that you would have for years put as one of the most, the best fit defenses, like everybody was in mm-hmm. their lanes. So scattershot. And so, of course, that, you know, that bumps him up as a runner. He was able to take advantage of that against the Jets, certainly. I think the Bills are going to give him trouble, or we're going to find out how back, how good, how excellent Lamar Jackson really is. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see who the Bills are trotting out there in the defensive backfield here. Uh, maybe Jordan Poyer returns for this one. Micah Hyde is out for the year, and uh, yeah, they lost. You know, they lost Christian Benford, who was their opening day starter, uh, in place of Tre'Davious White, who is still injured. Uh, and you know, six round rookie, he might be out. I mean, it is, it is a group of backups right now and uh you have to play very disciplined assignment football and your defensive backs are gonna have to step up and make some plays in the open field uh against this ravens offense and we might just see a lot of points they played in the postseason a couple years ago and it was super windy in buffalo and it was not a lot of points but uh we might see a lot of points in this one i uh i hope so i like i like feisty high scoring angry bills yeah i think that's a fun thing for me yeah I agree. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's wrap up the week four preview with the Sunday nighter. This is the Bucks and the Chiefs, a Super Bowl fifty five rematch. I shouldn't have even tried that. Uh, Super Bowl fifty five rematch, same place too. They're back in Tampa uh, to do this whole thing again. Um, uh, you know, I I don't I don't really think there are huge question marks with the Chiefs offensively. It's just an execution issue. And, like, are you going to uh, to do the things you have to do down to down? And, you know, they did it for two weeks and maybe not as much last week. I think that this is going to be – and, again, you don't want to make too much of, of something, but 
with Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy kind of getting in that little uh, in that little sideline scuffle, and this happens across the NFL, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if you walk into the place where just from a narrative standpoint that kind of exposed your offense and exposes in massive air quotes because it's still very hard to stop but yeah. a place that gave you fits and that led people to believe that you were human uh, i think that there's a lot riding on this right if you're the chiefs obviously that's the plan every week is to go out and absolutely toast somebody but i i i think that there is an immense amount of pressure on that idea specifically this week because i don't think you can go in and be pedestrian in this game. I, I think the the Chiefs need one of these superhuman Mahomesian games. I mean, the nice thing for the Chiefs is, and and look, I I, I don't think personnel wise up front, uh, they are particularly talented. I, I don't think they're overwhelmingly good. I don't think it's a dominant unit. I think Chris Jones is a dominant player, and then you have some pretty good guys around him. But uh, you do have a chance to wreck Tom Brady in the way that we've seen other teams wreck Tom Brady uh, early in the year, even though the the Bucks obviously are sitting in a pretty okay place at 2-1 and one at this point. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's, you know, the, the old axiom, right, was you have to get to Tom Brady, which was the dumbest thing ever, and I hated that because it's like, <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't that be the goal with any quarterback? Um, so, yeah, the secret to Tom Brady is you have to hit him. Yeah. Yeah, if we if obviously. we have fifty eight sacks in this game, I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to be okay. Um, but there is some mounting frustration there. I mean, from a body language perspective, and again, he's forty five years old. I wouldn't want to be. I mean, I I don't like when one of my kids accidentally hits me in the groin for no reason, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 ten years younger than Tom Brady, so I can't imagine that he enjoys the a more full body pain. Uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> it's got to be very frustrating. I also just want to point out that Tom Brady is still older than me. Yes. After, after I and, was dated earlier in the show as uh, uh, remembering the granola bar. <laughs> Gary was one of the um, founding members of the Electric Light Orchestra. That's how old he is. Um, the one thing I, I just have to say my piece about this before we get to our guests, who I'm very excited about. No idea who this is going to be. Um, <laughs> please, uh, if it's if it's going to be one of my high school teachers, you have to warn me. Uh, that's all. Just don't do that. Um, I don't want to do that. But the NFL promo. Have you seen the NFL promo for this game? No, but my wife was. <laughs> I came back upstairs after we taped the Sunday night show and my wife was like, Oh, they had such a good promo for, for next week's game. And oh, yeah. she likes it. Yeah. Oh God. They had Neil Young, right? Was that Neil Young? Isn't it? Well, you tell me what it was. Maybe there was some, uh, maybe there was some, uh, uh, confusion here. No, it wasn't Neil Young. They're playing. So it's Beck. How did your wife confuse Beck and Neil Young? She said they played old man. Right. Beck played old man. Beck played old man? Beck All played right. old man. And basically, I'll kind of like narrate it for a second. So it's like Beck in black and white on a stage playing old man. Whimsical photo, whimsical shot of Patrick Mahomes. Whimsical shot of Tom Brady. And... um and then the part where it's like, 
I'm a lot like you. And they're both like celebrating their Super Bowl wins. And Mm -hmm. then like Tom Brady looking over his shoulder and then Patrick Mahomes looking over his shoulder. Um, I mean, just the fury that I felt inside for that was incalculable. Um, Maybe it was just late. It was at the end of the long night. Um, and we're all a little fired up and testy. You, mm-hmm. you, you stayed up later than I did, um, on Sunday. Um, I think if you would have seen that at some point, I think you would have been legitimately upset. I don't know how you feel about Beck. I I'm fine with Beck, but yes, the entire thing just gave me a rage, like a rage shiver. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm one, no one should be really covering Neil Young. Uh, I, I do like Beck. I, I'm not a super fan, but uh, I enjoy him. I'm pro Beck. But what's really awkward here is uh, the guest coming up. It's it's my wife. She she wanted to talk about the... Oh. The yeah. <laughs> it's, Man. it's not. It's not. Talk about foot and mouth disease. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jacob Goldstein. I used to host a show called Planet Money. Now I'm starting a new show. It's called What's Your Problem? Every week on What's Your Problem, entrepreneurs and engineers describe the future they're going to build once they solve a few problems. How do you build a drone delivery business from scratch? Our customers, they want us to do this unbelievably reliably in the storms, no matter what, hundreds of times a day. How do you turn a wild dream about a new kind of biology into a $10 billion company? We didn't have a particular technology. We didn't have a way of making money. (laughs) Um, It was a great way to start a company. (laughs) I highly recommend it. What could go wrong? (laughs) How do you sell millions of dollars worth of dog ramps for wiener dogs in the middle of a pandemic? We're working with 400 influencers, and a majority of them are actually not a person, but it's actually a dog. (laughs) I can tell you right now, the dog ramp guy has some very interesting problems. Listen to What's Your Problem on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top the Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Connor, I have invited some guests onto our show. What? Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, you and I, uh, we often partake in, I, I think, a, a certain brand of nonsense. Uh, and that's especially true when it comes to the business of sports. I mean, we've tried it. Uh, we're just kind of firing off against nonsensical takes, though that is kind of our brand. Uh, but... <laughs> It's been like two years that we've been doing the show together, <laughs> and I think it's time to finally bring some smart people onto the show, uh, people who know what they're talking about maybe when it comes to the business of sports, and uh, sort of get their takes and maybe maybe inform our audience and make everyone a little bit smarter than, uh, <laughs> than they are listening to us every week. We're taking a major risk here by exposing our audience to intelligent discourse, because then if they know what that sounds like, they might not come back. But let's let's I, give it a shot. Let's try. Even worse, these guys have their own podcast. So, um, <laughs> But we're oh, going to no. do it. We're going to do it. Please welcome to the show the host of Sports Illustrated's new business of sports podcast, The Bag. Uh, this is Lindsay McCormick and Rashad Jennings. Guys, thank you for joining us. Thank we you appreciate for, it. Yeah, thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So let's start with this, because this is a story we talked about a little bit. And uh, uh, while Deshaun Watson's contract was probably the business story of the offseason, uh, I think that the Lamar Jackson uh, sort of saga here w with his uh, second contract negotiation, that's kind of like the biggest unresolved uh, business of football story we have going on right now. Uh, and number one, as I said, you guys can talk about this more intelligently than we can, but uh, especially you, Rashad, being a guy who 
at one point represented himself uh, in, you know, similar to what Lamar is doing right now. Uh, I just kind of wanted to open the floor uh, and just say, can you guys give us some good takes on this? Uh, what what should we think of this? Should we be sad? Should we be happy? Should we be frustrated? Uh, how should we feel about Lamar Jackson, who we love as a player? I think Lamar Jackson is definitely in a position where he should be getting paid. Um, MVP, uh, once in a lifetime type of generate. Well, he's generational talent for sure. Um, and there isn't any quarterback that is comparison to him and what he's been able to accomplish in a short period of time. And he's been the backbone of that team. Um, he deserves to get paid. I understand, obviously, coming from a owner standpoint of the worrisome of paying a player that is mobile especially at that position and he takes mm -hmm. some hits but he's obviously shown he's been pretty durable throughout his time however you know it's business you know don't don't no, nobody nobody wants to pay anybody if they don't have to <laughs> I, it's kind of one of them things i can't stand for somebody to say uh how, how much do you want to pay for this i don't want to pay anything <laughs> i want everything free like seriously if you give me an answer i think you're weird so it's like here, set your budget, set your set your price, and and let's move forward. But I, I think he's going to get paid. He should be happy for him because he is going to get paid. Um, and I feel bad if he ends up getting an injury like we've seen Dak Prescott take an injury prior to receiving his coins, and we've seen it a numerous amount of times. So hopefully he stays healthy so he can get paid. I think Bill Belichick's the only one that truly knows what this number looks like right now. The rest of us are just all speculating. <laughs> it's uh it's been wild. And and you know, we had Andrew Brandt uh, on the show. Obviously, he's uh he, he writes columns for us at Sports Illustrated, does a lot of other stuff. Uh he is a former team president of the Green Bay Packers. His job was uh, among other things to negotiate these contracts. He sort of gave us uh, his overall take on what it is like when a player represents himself. And he says, well, theoretically, like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah, cut out the middleman. Let's just talk about this. He said the awkward part Brilliant. is you, you have to go in there and sort of be like, yeah, you want this much money, but also you kind <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here, but you kind of suck in the following ways. And therefore we only want to pay you this much money. And, uh, Feelings get hurt, and that's kind of one of the, one of the nice things about having that medium. So let me get let me get this straight. Let me just just let me clarify for everyone. We're saying that it is a bad idea for an athlete to represent himself because he will hear somebody say he isn't good. <laughs> yeah, that's the best thing you can come to tell me on saving millions of dollars that you will have to hear somebody say you suck. Well, guess what? People say I suck on Twitter every day of my life. <laughs> me and too. We have something to pay millions of dollars for that. <laughs> Kick rocks. That's that's that is the lamest excuse. Anybody that ever brings that excuse, I would say that is the lamest excuse. You have not thought through much. Would you say, Rashad, that when you were going through that process yourself, um, that excuse aside, that there was anything that you wish that you had in your tool belt that you didn't have, or did you, or how did you kind of go about that process of preparing yourself uh, for for that? So when I did have an agent, I was uh, I was asked to be a player rep and voted by my peers um, for two years in a row. And I talked to my agent, that was my counselor at the time, and I was like, hey, man, so the guys voted me to be an NFL player rep. What do you think? He was like, nah, I think you should focus on football, just like everybody says in the world. It's so annoying. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, you should just focus on football. Like, what else am I going to do? That is what I'm doing. How do you think I got here, Jack? <laughs> so I'm going to focus on football regardless if I spend 20 minutes doing something else in my life. So in any event, I was like, you know what? Probably right. Let me just focus on football, whatever even that means. So next year, I get voted again. <clears throat> hey, you should focus on football. Then I got kind of like curious, like, you know what? All right, whatever. Next year, I got voted again. You should focus on football. I did it. Became a player rep. And I knew immediately why he didn't want me to become a player rep, because he knew the type of person I am. And I was privy to too much information. He did not yeah. want me privy to that information, because now I know just as much as he know for as, as far as contractual slotted money goes. Obviously, he's well-educated, way more educated than me when it comes to um, litigation. But when it comes to football slotted money, I know what you know now, buddy. And matter of fact, what I also know as a player that we pay 3.5% of a rookie minimal, <clears throat> excuse me, of a rookie contract um, wager, we pay our NFL player, uh, NFL, NFL PA association 3.5% already. So why am I paying my NFL PA 3.5% of a rookie, co a minimal contract? And also paying my agent 3.3% of my personal contract. That's 6.5% pretty much out there for somebody to tell me yes means yes and no means no. No, that's too much money going out, but I can go do this on my own. So it's it's very simple. Um, people, everybody, literally, anybody can do their own contract. However... Part of the job is to part of a, a a salesman's job, which is an agent to a certain degree, is to show why they are worthy. So, of course, they have to hype themselves up and belittle your intelligence. That's part of their job, literally. So um, that all of that, you know, when it comes to saving hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, if if the worst thing you got for me is to tell me I'm stupid, or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to hear that tomorrow at a grocery store. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I got a family and a future that I'm thinking about and I could care less about uh, a bunch of talking heads saying that I don't know what I'm doing when I ended up saving millions of dollars. So I, we can have a conversation about it. Fantasy really has changed the game because fans feel like they can come up to indiv individual players or tweet at individual players and say, you messed up my fantasy team this week. And there's no, <laughs> there's no line of what's appropriate versus what's not. Somebody did that to uh, Austin Austin Eckler's uh, um, fan. I mean, page his Instagram page, I, and I I follow him. That's my guy. So I was on his page, and I he was playing his guitar, and I'm like, oh boy, he playing his guitar during the season. People are gonna be like, you need to be focused on football. <laughs> so I went on his page, and I was reading some of the comments, and one dude was like, yo, you need to freaking focus on uh, scoring some points. My fantasy's terrible right now, and I need you to play ball. So. I was thinking, I, I messaged that guy. I was like, hey, you're the owner. You need to make better decisions. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're the owner. You suck. <laughs> now, like, if we want to get in that type of war, right? But I quickly deleted it and I didn't send it because I was like, I'm going to be nice. Mm -hmm. But I did put on his page, hey, Austin, keep focusing on growing on and off the field. Uh, don't worry about what people playing a fake game have to say. In regards to fantasy, I realized the defensive players get a hall pass because you don't you just draft one defense, right? You don't draft individual defensive players. So on one hand, you miss out on the 
ability for people to see the face behind the helmet all the time, like you're seeing with some of these offensive players. But you also probably don't get the hate as a defensive player. That's another reason. Yeah, or run out there on the defensive side of the ball here. Uh, maybe a little bit longer career playing in the secondary instead of uh, being down there in the trenches a lot. I will say, though, in defense, our uh, great editor, uh, Mitch Goldich, has a punters-only fantasy league and has been in it for five years now. And so there is there is some vitriol reserved, I think, for, for every corner of the, of the football world, unfortunately. No one is immune from the, from the onslaught of fantasy sports. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Connor. I was going to say, Rashad, I, I have a, a follow-up question for you, um, and I'm kind of curious about your conversations and and Lindsay kind of learning from Rashad and and kind of his take on this too. But um, when did you start? Because you, you hear guys all the time now talking about post-football life, post-football life. It warmed my heart when I saw guys like um, Ali Marpet saying, hey, I have some money, uh, I have a passion to pursue a career in mental health, I'm walking away um, from the NFL, and this is what I'm doing, I already know what I'm doing. I think there were, I think it was Lee Smith with the Falcons, already had a foundation set up, I think he, he had a home where he uh, mentored at-risk um, students, and walked right into that, and that was the second part of his career. I talked to a lot of former coaches and players who struggle with that, um, it's obviously something that's discussed a lot in the community. When did you start planning for your life after football, both professionally, financially, mentally, all that kind of stuff? And, and, and what kind of advice can you give to players who are, are, are heading down that same path? Yeah, man, I really appreciate that question. I would say I started preparing for ball afterlife before I even started football, um, as in my professional career. Um, I, you know, I figured you go to school try to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life that's what most of us go for and i feel like the lord has just blessed me with in my case eight extra years to figure that out because i just went to an advancement of college um the nfl and that opened up and gave me a key to doors and access to doors that a degree necessarily wouldn't have even opened so you know i was fortunate that i, I just got to parlay um, you know, from my uh, collegiate career uh, as far as education, too. So I went to school to study psychology and sociology. I ended up getting my honorary doctorate degree in humanities. I have a desire to be a premier and emeritus counselor in the latter years of my life. Um, I love life. I love people. I love relationships, how people relate, just not in a, in a marital sense, but mother to father, father to son, all, all, everything. And so, you know, that in itself, I think, has helped. I remember... When I was going to school, I saw like, like psychology. Like, I want to be getting into psychology and philosophy. It was like, that's dumb. There's no money in that. Well, fast forward now, I guess mental health, there really is. There's a lot yeah. of money in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I would say beyond that, focusing on networking and really learning the playbook of what networking actually is and, uh, you know, not taking myself too serious. The game of football is very short, even if you have a long career. And relativity to life is very short. Um, I never wanted it, it to define me. I actually said in, in my book that if football is the only thing I'm known for, I'm a personal failure in my book. You know, um, I'm so much more than a guy that I was this fat, overweight, chubby kid. I'm your next door neighbor, your average dude, bro. If you get to know me, there's nothing special about me besides the position I found myself in. I'm your average guy. 
and I never took myself too serious. So, you know, I didn't think anything was owed to me. Anybody, um, you know, was supposed to have been over backwards for me, um, that I work hard. And, uh, you know, I got I got a carrier last name that I'm responsible for. And I want my kids to do that at one point in time, too. So that everything kept me grounded. My relationship with God kept me grounded and uh, humbled the whole time. So I have kind of a two part question here, and and uh, I am genuinely curious because obviously this is not uh, this is not a, a typical uh, you know post career move. I, I don't think you necessarily recommend this to anyone, but obviously you were on Dancing with the Stars. You you were a uh, DWTS champion. Uh, I'm curious how you got on it, but I'm also curious, and I, I don't want to I don't want to cause friction between you and your co host Lindsay, but. Uh, I, I, Lindsay, correct me if I'm wrong. You are a like a, a classically trained ballroom dancer, uh, and does it is it kind of like do you ever look at Rashad and just be like I can I can outdance you? Like how how are you a champion? <laughs> no, no, I actually respect this quality in Rashad that he loves to tackle new things and become like dive all into it and become really good at that whatever that that is whether it's home renovations or football or dancing with the stars and ballroom dancing so he actually has earned my respect from that point because he still is dancing and the show ended a while ago okay yeah i, I love I, i'm truly an honor to that that Lindsay attested that i can't st- i love learning i'm intrigued to it i love being a novice in a room knowing absolutely nothing about the topic learning going home studying training, waking up every day with a new excitement to learn something like that's me. And so dancing was one of those, but I fell in love with it. I'm still dancing. I actually teach dance now. Lindsay, we're going to have to do an episode of us dancing. That's what we're going to end up having to do. What, what was your favorite? What was your favorite dance? Uh, by far the rumba. Okay. I, I'm a hopeful romantic. So anytime I get to <laughs> put it on, I'm on. <laughs> so yeah, the rumba. It was uh, a beautiful dance, and I fell in love with a, a social dance called Zouk, Z-O-U-K, and it comes from Labada, it's a Brazilian-style art, and uh, it's a social dance. I think it's phenomenal, and I recommend any and everybody, if you have a special person in your life, please go dancing with them. It will change the way that y'all relate to each other, 1,000%. Well, my husband definitely needs to be in dance classes, because he is from New Jersey, and the only move he has is like this Jersey yeah. shore. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sitting there so, right now. Uh, <laughs> we might have to go take some lessons. All I got to say I is that you. Gary, you've never invited me dancing two years of this podcast together. Uh, we we will also uh, maybe do a dancing show, but we won't put it on video. We'll narrate it. But, uh, narrate it. but that's it. I, no one no one can see us doing it. I robot okay, but that's a, that's all I got. Nice. <laughs> I have a I have a good uh, I have a question that I've always wanted to uh, that I find interesting. I like to ask um, people who have been in the NFL this in a public setting, mostly because I hate listening to other people say, "Well, they get paid millions of dollars, um, and that they just have all this money." And so I remember, uh, so I covered the two thousand. 12 and 13 Giants. So we overlapped. We were in the same locker room uh, for a little while. And I remember sitting next to Steve Weatherford, who was a punter on that team, and Steve saying, nobody understands that 
after agent fees, trainer fees, um, the stuff that I pay, you know, to work out, to recover, to diet right, to have all my nutrition, my training, um, I net about 40% of the salary that people see when they Google my name on, on the internet. How big of a common misconception is that, I think, for fans? And because it, it just drives me nuts, right? That they think, okay, this guy makes X amount of dollars. I saw Adam Schefter tweet that he made $85 million. So he's sitting there with in possession of $85 million in cash right now. And I can say whatever I want to him because I don't make that much money. You know, I don't even necessarily, and I love the question, but I don't fault the media for this. I don't. I don't fault, um, you know, common people for mistaking this because they do it to themselves. Like if you get a job, right? And it's like, hey, I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars this year. Literally most people say, oh, I'm gonna make a hundred thousand dollars. No, yeah. <laughs> you don't, you know, so they, they're, they're mistaking the lies in their own life. Of course they're gonna mistake in mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, you have to understand, educate educate self. I had to. I used to think the same thing when I was younger, right? Being an autodidact addicted to learning, I want to learn how taxes work so I can put myself in a better position to actually make more money. So, you know, I do, like my little, I got nephews, right? I got, I'm an uncle nine times and I got eight, nep eight nephews and one niece. And I always say she's my favorite niece. She thinks it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> but, um, you know, they it, they desire to follow in their uncle's footsteps. They're playing college football right now. One is uh, he was ranked uh, 16th defense end in the nation coming out. He signed in North Carolina. Um, Bryson Jennings, the uh, other one, is playing running back. Um, at Bethune, he's uh, Dominic Jennings. Like, they're all over the place playing football. And um, they always call me. Hey, Hokeshaw, did you just see it? They just told me about uh jimmy g did you see jimmy g just made three hundred and fifty thousand dollars this week oh my gosh and i'm like yeah that's incentives <laughs> and it's really not that much he said what do you mean i was like well if you do three hundred and fifty thousand dollars and multiply because he got it because he won so, so if he if he wins 10 games you know now he's at 3.5 million dollars for a starting quarterback compare that to deshaun watson who hasn't played in two years how much he's getting paid mm -hmm. who, who do you think's making more and then he's like oh didn't think about it that way right so we just need to take another look at a lot of this stuff um but i'm never mad at anybody uh, at all i just think it's interesting that people care so much about what other people are making in a field that they can't even possibly compete with. Like, I get it if I'm working in, you know, if I'm a running back and I see what another running back get paid because I'm in competition with him, right? You running a podcast, you see what Joe Rogan's getting, getting paid. You're like, okay, I need to figure out how to get on his level. That I understand. But comparing your pocket that literally don't, are not even in the same brand of jeans as another person doesn't make any sense to me. But now discussing it is one thing, but comparing, I don't understand that. Mm. Rashad, second, the follow-up to that was, will you represent Gary and I when we hold out for Joe Rogan money? Can we count on you to, to take that? <laughs> oh, I got that? you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, we, we'll sit outside and do dance. We'll dance around until I figure, figure out how to pay you. <laughs> we got you. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant 
you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jacob Goldstein. I used to host a show called Planet Money. Now I'm starting a new show. It's called What's Your Problem? Every week on What's Your Problem? Entrepreneurs and engineers describe the future they're going to build once they solve a few problems. How do you build a drone delivery business from scratch? Our customers, they want us to do this unbelievably reliably, in the storms, no matter what, hundreds of times a day. How do you turn a wild dream about a new kind of biology into a $10 billion company? We didn't have a particular technology. We didn't have a way of making money. Um, It was a great way to start a company. I highly recommend (laughs) it. What could could go wrong? (laughs) How do you sell millions of dollars worth of dog ramps for wiener dogs in the middle of a pandemic? We're working with... 400 influencers and the majority of them are actually not a person but it's actually a dog (laughs) i can tell you right now the dog ramp guy has some very interesting problems listen to what's your problem on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts one of the best shows of the year according to apple amazon and time is back for another round we have more insightful conversations between myself paul muldoon and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane and he said, Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, What? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run. Hey Jude, and McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there, and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek. And I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. 
I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask Lindsay, uh, you know, Connor and I had had somewhat similar paths through the journalism world uh, that are probably a little bit different than than what yours was, uh, I assume. I mean, Connor and I, as as sort of Internet writers from the newspaper background who now host a podcast, we mostly have spent the last decade like sitting in our respective basements uh, writing somewhat poorly and uh and and talking to each other and just through some strange inertia we just keep on sort of tumbling forward in the industry but uh i mean you are you are someone who uh, you know you obviously host a a podcast with shot now uh you have hosted super super bowl events you've uh you've been at some of the biggest networks i'm just curious what your background is and how you sort of arrived at this point in your career so my path is quite similar to to yours. Well, uh, I hope but not. <laughs> I, but I started out as an intern for ESPN, and then I knew that was my foot in the door, and I had to stay at any cost. Uh, I ended up, the internet was becoming big. I mean, this is dating all of us right now, but the internet was starting to become a big thing when my mm-hmm. career was starting, like 15, 16 years ago. And ESPN was starting their dot-com shows. And it was just a concept. They had Molly Karam, who everyone knows now, and mm-hmm. Ginny Dell. And the three of us, they rotated us through a show on ESPN.com. It was one of ESPN.com's first shows called Streak for the Cash. And it was just a little, like, 15 minutes show where we would give our picks for the week, which... It's kind of ironic looking back on where betting was at that time (laughs) and now where it is. Uh, But that was the show, Streak for the Cash. And then that led to like College Pick'em, which was a college football show. And I got my start on ESPN.com. And then they, my boss realized, oh, you actually understand college football and Mm -hmm. sports. And then uh, I started writing for ESPN, the magazine in their page two column, which was the more feature-ish type of of, of writing. And then mm-hmm. that led to covering NBA games and NFL games. And I knew the same, I took the same approach that you guys did with, I didn't play the game myself, like Rashad. So I have to write about this if I want to build credibility and I want to be taken seriously. And because those were really the only two options. You either write it and you cover it as a writer, or you you play the game. And I knew if I, I wanted to be taken seriously, I had to write. And so then I wrote for ESPN Magazine. Uh, I had an NFL column for Esquire. And that led to more sideline reporting and just tumbling into the j- next job after the next. And then I, I hit a point a couple years ago where I realized, okay, I, I have to be realistic. I'm not going to make Tony Romo or 
Charles Barkley broadcast money. Mm-hmm. I I have to find either a side hustle or something to get involved with that's going to generate more income. And I started looking more into investing and talking with angel investors. And that really piqued my interest. I worked with a company called ePlay Digital out of Canada, who's responsible for a lot of the video games for ESPN and Fox. And that really piqued my interest on esports and investing in esports. And then I knew, okay, this is going to be my path. I just have to find a way to merge the two sports and business. And I ended up on a show for Entrepreneur Magazine called Elevator Pitch, where I met Rashad, my amazing co-host. And the rest is history. Here we are. Nice. Nice. I tell you, my, 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 getting to know Lindsay, she's, she's definitely somebody who is a grinder and just does it joyfully that you can't even tell sometimes how hard she's grinding. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's a sweet her. compliment. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's always working hard. I just also, you know how competitive this industry is, is broadcasters. And when I started out, there weren't as many women. There was Erin Andrews, Susie Kolber, maybe five women. Mm -hmm. And now everywhere you look, there's a female broadcaster on the sidelines. And I knew midway through my career when it started to get even more competitive although it was a little bit easier because I had put a lot on my resume before there were a lot of women, I, I realized I have to figure out what makes me unique. And just being a talking head on the sideline wasn't going to be the answer to that. And so you had to find, I had to find an area that hadn't been covered before. And business, esports were really, really those areas that were taking off and that I had an organic interest in. So would be remiss if we have Rashad Jennings, running back, former running back, uh, with us to ask um, the question that every running back gets asked and is tired of being asked. Uh, I thought we had an answer to this. There was the Todd Gurley deal. There was the Christian McCaffrey deal. And there was one more, I think, that went in dominoes. And they actually started paying. It might have been Le'Veon Bell, where running backs actually started getting paid somewhat commensurate with um their market value or something closer to the market value we have another rash of star running backs in the nfl right now rashad how are we going to make life work contractually for the running back because that is something like i feel like this is a cause i want to take on and champion for uh, for the rest of my days in the media mm-hmm. well i mean if you want to take a business approach at it all the running backs can collectively just take strikes <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then, I mean, honestly, that's what you can do. But then the issue is then you're going to open up room for another player to potentially take your position. Damn Debo Samuel, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. They all wide receivers are running the ball now. Tight ends are running the ball. You got Hill down there with New Orleans Saints. He's just doing everything but uh, punting. He probably can punt. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. He's seriously popping up everywhere. But the position, I will tell you this. My argument still remains in the last 10 Super Bowls. um, You know, I think nine out of 10, whoever led on the rushing yardage won. And there's still, you cannot get rid of how important a position is. Um, So do they need to be paid? Yeah, just like any other player. But. I do get that it's uh, becoming a pass more heavy game. And, you know, they're, the traditional running backs is very few of them left. I mean, you got 
Henry still out there being a like the old school tradition running back downhill. Um, and it's not helping. It's not helping a lot of people's cases because he's getting off to a slower start. But however, I'm here, man. I think I think the running back should get paid because um, you can't win without without the ground attack in every single every single locker room I've ever been in. I've been on eight different teams, regardless if it's the same organization or not. You're still on different teams because you got brand new faces. Every team I've ever been on says at the very beginning, we need to establish a run game and stop the run. I've never in my life been in a locker room with, hey, we need to figure out how to stop the pass. <laughs> uh, we need to never. That is not a defensive coordinator's MO. So if you got a guy that can run the ball, um, i.e. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, you, you think they ain't win the games because of that guy? Yeah, you're insane. You don't understand football. So. Um, I think I think uh, I think Jonathan Taylor will be one of the running backs that could pop back open uh, that conversation. You mean Tom Coughlin didn't come to you guys the first day of training camp and say we're going to throw it sixty five times a game, Rashad? You just hang out on the bench. We got this thing. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna be fun and gun this year. <laughs> no, nah, he did not. Coughlin uh, came up to me and said uh, a few uh, a few choice cuss words and let me know how important running was. <laughs> Love that guy. I'm just, I just I feel for the guys who uh, were not first round picks who end up having like a really good first like three or four seasons and you get to your second contract and you just don't get it like I'm going to start a GoFundMe for DeAndre Swift because uh, <laughs> I feel like he's going to get two years out and the Lions are going to kind of be like eh, I don't know we kind of use you up you know go go play veterans minimum for a couple of years and that's it. I mean, that's what they were going to try to do with uh, Zeke um, yeah. in Dallas. You know, he got paid before they decided to not allow him. Well, before he kind of, I don't know, what, what do you say he, where do you say Zeke is at right this second? I personally think um, that he's taken a, a backseat to the focus of their success. Uh, can he still play? Can he still be productive? Heck, yes. But that's the thing. So, a lot of teams will find a great running back and run him ragged early. Why? Because he won't be healthy enough to for a reason to pay, right? So think if Zeke right now would have been sharing carries the whole his whole entire career, hmm. where he would be at health wise right now, and you have to pay him, then you're going to have to pay his incentive and all his incentives and. A lot of teams don't give you fully guaranteed up front if you sign a four-year deal, right? The large lump sum of money comes on year three and four. And they're anticipating already, we're going to burn you out for another one or two and get rid of you regardless and try to trade you for whatever kind of value you are so that way we don't pay you your big dollar. The only thing that's really given to you directly is your signing bonus. That's the only thing that's guaranteed. Outside of that... Every single year in the, in the NFL is a year-to-year -year contract. I don't care if they say, we signed a seven-year deal. No, you're year-to-year, <laughs> literally. That was uh, just to – I want to interrupt Gary's uh, re revelation of his uh, wild proposal for a second because there's one more running back that I think fits into this really uh, in, in an interesting way. And I, I think about Saquon Barkley a lot. That was a guy that sort of came after you in New York uh, and – Here's somebody that lit the world on fire, 
had some trouble with injuries, but largely, like, I think there is an available workload that's still there. I don't think he's burned out necessarily as a player. You have elite top five talent. You've been screwed over, I think, probably by a few systems at some point in in, in time. Um, What kind of career advice do you give someone like that who, I mean, again, could probably still be a top five rusher in the NFL if he's in the right place at the right time? Absolutely. Um, you know, the advice, obviously, to any athlete is go out there and perform at your highest level possible. You know, um, you can't give any advice other than yeah. that. You know, idealistically, right, you'll find yourself being healthy at a right time that you can fit a perfect system for yourself. Um, you know, I thought, you know, a player that exemplified that during my tender was Arian Foster. I think Arian Foster was a guy which one of the most exciting running backs to watch to me. Um, he was he was a guy that fit perfectly inside of a system that he played well in, right? Um, is he a good player? Heck, yeah. Would he have performed the same level in any other system? Probably not. Would he admit that? Probably so. <laughs> you know, um, honestly, I, there are certain systems that I fit. I fit my the system I was in with the Oakland Raiders was absolutely perfect for me. That's why I was MVP of the team, uh, most valuable player, and also offensive player of the year award while I was there and only played eight games because of Darren McFadden's injury and came in and filled it perfectly. Why? Because that system fit me. Right Then I went to the New York Giants, and the first year I was the leading rusher in the first six games. And then I felt like I hurt after I got hurt. The second year I uh, came back, they, they went to this idea of – running back by committee and literally they rotated five running backs that wasn't working. And then the very end, I sat down with coach Coughlin and said, Hey coach Coughlin, listen, this running back by committee stuff ain't working. Either pick me and let me ride this thing out. Pick somebody else and let them ride out. Cause I want to win. And we're not going to win. Cause nobody, I can't, it's like playing a chess match. If I come in and play your next move, I don't know what you were setting up. You got to get a feel for what, how the board is moving. Mm. And so finally, he's like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> and he gave me the last four games. He gave me the last four games, and I ran for 550 yards in four games. So that point, and then the next year, he got fired. McAdoo came in, and we went back to the committee again. So it was like, you know what? I don't know what's going on. So but my point is, though, there, you, you got to let you gotta let your players play. All right, I promised this uh, when we were chatting pre-show a little bit, and uh, uh, I have this insane proposal. Uh, I, I bounced it off Connor. He gave me some sort of uh, approval. Uh, I, I'm I'm pulling you into this boat, Connor. I love it. Uh, so here we go. Last, uh, you know, last time they negotiated the CBA, there was obviously there's a lot of friction uh, within the players' association. I think some, you know, maybe like half the half the union was not particularly happy with the deal uh but it comes up every time there's there's a new negotiation it's like you can't really strike i mean correct me if i'm wrong Rashad. there are too many guys who are looking at this saying all right my career is going to be two three years i i can't i can't walk away for a year like we we have to go out and play and the owners kind of always have this thing to to hold over the players they they know they can't really force a work stoppage am, am i am i so far am i okay now, you're okay. It's definitely hard for players collectively to go on a strike financially. Okay. So I, I'm glad you brought up the running back strike uh, earlier because this is what I would do if I were in the Players Association. This is what I would suggest. Uh, 
I, I know I'm dating myself. I'm probably older by at least five years than everyone else uh, on the show right now. But uh, when I was a kid, I, I remember quite vividly, they used to have the quarterback club, which was one, the video game. Two, sometimes you came home from school in like March and you turn on ESPN2 and like they're doing like a throwing competition where it's like Boomer Esiason versus Neil O'Donnell. And, uh, you know, they, they basically had this group for like special licensing and they they pulled in money that way. Uh, they all, it was the 90s, they all wore uh, jorts to these events and then they tucked their jerseys into the jorts. I think that was a requirement for the quarterback club. But uh, my idea is you threaten the owners when, when the next CBA is being negotiated at the end of this decade, you threaten the owners with a quarterback only strike. Everyone else plays. The quarterbacks say, uh, you know, whatever the top, the, the top thirty-two, whoever is sort of entrenched as a starter. You say like, okay, well, we're gonna sit out. Like this is our work stoppage. We're gonna sit out. Uh, Amazon Prime for their first game of the year instead of having Patrick Mahomes versus Justin Herbert, uh, it will be Chad Henney versus Chase Daniel in the nine to six game, and we'll see how long the owners want to hold out with that kind of product. That's that's my idea. That is impractical, but. Uh, in theory, uh, I would like to see put into operation. Yeah, no, I think honestly, the I, I'm not mad at you. And I love the way you're thinking, truly, because <laughs> yes, the quarterbacks have the, the most leverage. So if you had 64 quarterbacks go on strike versus 1,600 players, you would get the attention. Also, what it get the attention, but it'd piss a lot of fans off, is if all the players decided to go out there and just not play hard. Mm. Yeah. If we all decided, you know what? Blue Eddie said, "Hut, here's a football, you know, and, and make it like um, the uh, what is it called? Uh, the, the Pro Bowl. Uh, oh, yeah, the Pro Bowl. Yeah, make it like the Pro Bowl, and we are playing, <laughs> right? We're playing football. Yeah, are we really? If we did that, I think uh, I think it'd get the attention as well. Or oh, worst case, best case scenario, everybody stays healthy, everybody gets paid, mm -hmm. and now you just take away the little bit of pride, um, an <laughs> ego of competing." Which, but at the end of the day, you see your paycheck and you're staying healthy, and then you can negotiate for a bigger contract. Why not? I think it's ways, man. I really do. Yeah. It'd be ugly. It'd be a fight. But I, I'm with you. I like how you're thinking. I just, I, 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 I appreciate that, and uh, I, I grew more and more confident as you and Lindsay did not like leave the call in the middle of my spiel <laughs> uh, and didn't stay till the end. That, uh, that really helped me get through it. Uh, we could tell you gave yeah. thought. <laughs> Well, the podcast is The Bag with Rashad Jennings and Lindsay McCormick. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to it, uh, then right now, type those words into the search tool on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you guys know how to find a, a podcast, I assume. Uh, it is available literally everywhere. Uh, Lindsay, Rashad, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Appreciate you. The MMQB NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Super Bowl champion Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts, and once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing. 
I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.